Amen. Um, I just want to just continue in, in prayer. Um, many would know, but some of you might not know, uh, John Chambers, who uh, was part of our, our congregation before he had to move out north, uh, has been in hospital and is, is facing um, some life-threatening situation. So I'd just like to bring John and his family before the Lord in prayer. We continue to pray for me, with me. Lord, we just uh, bring to you our friend and our brother, uh, John. Uh, Lord, we thank you that he knows you and that he loves you so much. And Lord, in this situation that he's facing, we pray that you as a miraculous God, as a healer God, would be moving in and through the hospital staff, uh, the people working with him, but also, Lord, in his body. We just pray for his body to be uh, healed and whole. Uh, Lord, that uh, he would really come to know peace uh, through this situation. Lord, that you'd uh, take away all pain and, and fear and that you would replace that with a sense of your love and your peace and your goodness uh, as he uh, faces these next few weeks. We pray for his family, Lord, uh, particularly for his kids, um, his son and his daughter. Just pray that they too, uh, through this time, uh, you'd use that, Lord, to grow their faith, that they would come to know you more. Uh, give them peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, we're in the middle of a series that we're doing, that we're calling Doing Life Together. And it's a phrase that I think encapsulates the sense that we're not alone, that as part of a church community, not only do we meet together on Sundays, not only do we uh, worship together, do we fellowship uh, at this time, but through relationship and through connection, uh, we actually do life together. That life is beyond a Sunday morning, there is ups and downs, there's uh, trials, there's celebrations, uh, there's milestones, there's things to learn and grow in. And part of doing all of that is the opportunity to do it together and to not be alone. And so last week I laid the foundation of what it means to do life together. Uh, we talked about the fact that uh, we've labelled life groups as one of the areas, puzzle pieces in our vision that we really want to strengthen and we really want to see strong in the life of our church. Um, and I gave some reasons also for perhaps why people don't involve themselves in, in life groups. And I heard a great uh, saying during the week, if you go to a restaurant and you have a bad meal... You don't give up on food. You just don't go to that restaurant anymore. And it's a bit like that. Perhaps you might have had an experience of a life group um, that perhaps hasn't sort of met your needs or whatever, but you don't give up on life groups because of that experience, just like you don't give up on food if you have a bad restaurant experience. So I encourage you, uh, as we look at the life groups, um, what 
might your participation be as we long to grow them, build more of them, and have them as central to our life together as a church? Um, I also mentioned that there's no cookie-cutter idea of a life group. That is, sometimes we have in our minds, oh, a life group looks like this, and therefore I'm not going to go because it looks like that, or um, it doesn't sort of meet regularly enough, or it's too regular, or it's at a person's house. I was, you know, what if people got together in a cafe? That would be a life group. What if people got together in an, in an office environment uh, during a work lunch time? That might work for you. So trying to think creatively that life groups aren't just what we traditionally might think, but it's actually the, the getting together and the connecting with one another. And as I said last week, I want to make it really, really clear that there should be no pressure to uh, be part of a life group. Being part of a life group should come from a deep desire to grow, and it should come from a conviction that you feel that the Lord is actually drawing you together with people. And there might be people in our midst who go, hey, I really connect with those people, or you know, I really want to get to know that person more. Perhaps um, God is actually calling us to form a relationship and form a connection in order that we might better do life together. And last week I said we're made for connection, we're made for community, it's how we're built. Jesus' own model was to make a small group with his disciples and it's also the New Testament pattern. They met in the large gatherings and they met in small groups. So how do we best develop connections? How do we best develop them? What's the benefit of them? One benefit, and I, I heard uh, another funny story. Many of you would know Rick Warren, uh, who pioneered Saddleback Church in America. And he tells this story of uh, a man who had come to his church for five years, and he sat right up the back, and he's got church of thousands of people. And for five years, he came in the same chair, and very regular, came to church, for five years and after five years he found himself in hospital um, facing uh, some very difficult health issues and it got through to the church because the guy had mentioned that he'd gone to this church so the nurses and that contacted the church and he'd been there for two weeks and no one from the church had gone to visit him and so it sort of filtered through all the way to the top to Rick And Rick, who doesn't normally visit people in churches because he's got a a bit of a team that does it, actually went and visited this man. And this man was incredibly bitter. He said, I've been coming to your church, your church, (laughs) for five years, for five years, and not one person has come to visit me in hospital. The pastoral person that uh, Rick is, I wouldn't have done this, I would have probably done it different. You know what his response was? It's your fault. He said, it's your fault. You've come to the church for five years and you've not made one connection. 
it's your fault. How's that for a pastoral visit? (laughs) That's true. Unless we make connections, there's no relationship. In fact, statistics say that unless a person makes seven genuine friendships when they first join a church, after a year, it's very unlikely that they will remain. Isn't that interesting? Unless they make seven genuine friendships within the space of a year, it's unlikely that they will remain in the church. So life groups don't only function in terms of enabling deep relationships, they actually also function in in holding the church together. That's a great benefit. Strong, functioning life groups. But what are some other benefits? I want to take for the next couple of weeks the word life, doing life together. And this week I want to tackle L and I. Next week we're going to look at F and E. And then the final week we're going to have a number of people sharing some great uh, testimonies of their experiences of being part of a life group that has actually deepened their relationship and their journey and their life with Jesus. So I've already got a couple of people who have put their name up for that. Again, if you feel like you've got a story that can benefit and uplift the congregation, I'd like you to come and see me because we'd love to have all those stories compiled together and and really uh, uh, finish this series well with some great stories. So the first thing is learning. You see, being part of a follower of Christ is to be constantly learning. And I remember when I was some of your kids, when you kids looking up at me preaching now, I remember when I was your age looking at someone my age thinking, wow, they know so much. They're so wise. Oh my goodness. Yeah, some people nodding their heads. I remember so clearly going, wow, they know so much. They're so full of wisdom. And now I'm the age that I am, I realise how much I don't know. (laughs) The older I get, the more I know that I don't know. And so there's this desire to constantly actually be learning and growing and developing our knowledge of not only who God is, but who we are in God and uh, what the Bible says about that. And there's a danger that if we stagnate, if we just simply stop in our growing and in our learning, there is a danger that we actually start to go backwards. It's the law of uh, entropy that we go backwards rather than continuing to grow in our knowledge. Um, One of my first jobs was I worked for a surveyor's uh, company and I was a surveyor's assistant and there was an old guy there who was doing the same sort of job as me, the guy that sort of stands on the road with the prism, you've seen the guys with the high-vis jacket, jackets um, and he was my age and he was doing that, that job and I went out on a couple of jobs with him and he had these cards with him and he was just like in, while he was doing that he was sort of looking at these cards and I asked him what, what they were and he was actually teaching himself to speak Italian <laughs> in the middle of the job. And I said, oh, why, are you, why are you doing that? 
And his answer was, I don't want my brain to stop growing. And in order for me to keep on top of my mental health, I actually need to engage myself in a way that I'm constantly learning and growing. So he was teaching himself Italian on the job because he understood the law of entropy. He didn't want to go backwards, but he wanted to go forwards in his learning. And so to be a follower of Christ, we've got to constantly be learning. And that just makes sense, doesn't it? Particularly if you are a new Christian, if we see new people come to faith, because it's all new. <laughs> it's all got to be learnt. And I see this very much so in, in youth ministry. Um, some kids come from the church background and some kids don't come from the church background. And it's amazing what kids don't know when it comes to the Christian faith. Christmas, Easter, they got them the wrong way around. And surely that's basics, right? <laughs> but it's interesting what they don't know. And, but it makes sense. I mean, if we want to become a plumber, if we want to become an engineer, if we want to become a pastor, there is learning, there is training that is involved. We go do a course and we learn the material. If we want to be a follower of Christ, we have got to learn the material. Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And our church bases itself on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And in the Great Commission, it says, go out, make disciples, baptise them. And it says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. I think so often in the Great Commission, we focus on the going and the, the doing and making disciples. But part of making a disciple is that you teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And often we forget that bit. Um, Anthony mentioned that it's Pentecost today. And uh, in the famous Acts 2 passage that talks about Pentecost, Peter gets up, 3,000 are added that day as the Spirit is poured out. And I mentioned last week, it's pretty interesting that the church started in a house in the upper room with the disciples. But in this famous passage of scripture that describes the early church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. Now I think of the word devoted and I think straight away the Greece song, hopelessly devoted to you. Um, <laughs> we devote ourselves in love or to our hobbies or to our children devoted themselves to teaching to learning you see if Jesus is Lord of my life and I want to follow him then I want to know what Jesus's ways are for me and in order to know what Jesus has for me, what his, the best plan it is for my life, the best way to do that is, one, to know Jesus and to hear his voice, but to, two, learn, listen through scripture, his living word, 
what he has for me and what his desires are for me. Because we are bombarded with so many messages and so many opinions about truth and doctrine and society. You see the world we live in today. Um, a friend of mine who's a pastor uh, was, was preaching once. And isn't it interesting that you don't remember much about people's preaching, but you remember sort of certain moments? There was one moment where he was preaching, and he, I can't remember the context, but he was talking about there was some sort of uh, think tank or thinking about a matter within the life of the church that all the pastors sort of got together and they were around tables and they were all discussing some issue that was coming up. And it was, oh, what, what do you think? And what do you think? And oh, and what do you think? And what do you think? And, and he said he got so mad <laughs> that he just stood up and said, I don't care what you think, I care what God thinks. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? So many of us are so affected by what others think and yet oblivious and silenced to what actually God thinks and desires. So what is the Apostles' teaching? What is, how would you describe the Apostles' teaching? It's the New Testament. It's the New Testament. That at the time of Acts, the New Testament wasn't compiled yet, yet they had letters and, and writings. And if you look at the authors of the guys that wrote this, you've got either men who did life with Jesus, the actual disciples, <laughs> or you've got guys who were taught by the disciples. So the apostles' teaching is actually, the New Testament is actually written by the apostles. And when they were compiling the New Testament, that was actually one of the criteria for the canon had to actually be written by an apostle or by someone who was taught by an apostle. So, the New Testament. Do you know that there are 11,189 chapters in the Bible? 11,189 chapters. Now, what's the benefit of life groups? If you are to learn simply from a preacher on a Sunday morning, you would have to come to Sunday every day for 22.8 years and for a preacher to preach on one chapter a week. For 22.8 years you would need to come to church on a Sunday in order to get through the Bible. So don't leave your learning just to Sunday. Part of the benefit of life groups is that you can do your learning together and that you can discover the scriptures. And you know what? In a life group, you can ask questions. Not many people sort of interrupt the preacher and say, uh, can you just... Go a bit deeper there, please. Oh, what do you mean by that, sir? Um, but in a life group, you can. You can go deeper and you can ask questions. 
So first of all, there is learning. Secondly, influence. You can both give influence to others and you can receive influence from others. Now, influence is a, a massive thing. Influence, we can be influenced both good and bad. You might have heard the saying, show me a man's friends and I'll show you the man. Show me the man's friends and I'll show you the man. Um, because what that's saying is based on the man's influence by those who are surround, he's surrounded by, that's who that, that person is actually going to be. Now, I saw this firsthand a couple of weeks ago when I was down at the shopping centre. I, I bumped into a, a young man who um, I've had dealings with in youth ministry. Um, and there he was with his gang. <laughs> and I looked at his friends and I looked at just what they were wearing and their demeanour, their character, and I just and he was there right in the middle. I said, Oh, what are you doing today? Oh, nothing, just sort of hanging out, you know. And I just thought this saying is so true that this young man is just surrounded by these guys, and unless he removes himself from those influences, he's just gonna be just like them. Proverbs says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. In a similar way, Paul in Corinthians says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So influence is a huge thing. I think mainly because influence happens without us actually realising that it's happening. It's something that kind of we look back on and we go, oh, wow, yeah, I was kind of influenced by that and I didn't realise I was. And I'm sure we all have stories of growing up, our friends, our family, our parents, our parents' love of music or cars. My wife said to me the other day, you're just so pig-headed when it comes to to car brands and you get that from your dad. And I was like, yeah, I've been influenced by my dad in that. I remember when I was in primary school, um, I hated poetry. It was one of my worst subjects. And I don't have it with me, but I've, somewhere I've still got it. Um, I've got my year five, I think it was, poetry book. And the first five or six pages of this poetry book is basically lead pencil scribbles of some random poem that I copied off the board or something, and, and that was it. And something happened. There, a new kid came to school, and me being the kind of nice guy, I befriended him, and he became my friend. And this kid was so into Kenworth trucks. Now... I don't like Kenworth trucks then, and I don't like them now, yet he was so infatuated with them. He, he's just so passionate about Kenworth. I don't know why, maybe his dad was a trucker or something, but he sat next to me 
And he went on and on and on about Kenworth trucks. And he showed me how to draw them. It's like, okay, you start with the tyres and then you got, the grill, grill's got to be like this. And, it was like, and you can do them 3D, you can draw them like this and blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, wow. And I just got taken up with his love for Kenworth truck. And I started drawing them as well. And I coloured them in and that sort of thing. And there's, in my poetry book, literally you turn a page from black and white like lead pencil and paper, turn the page and it's full colour over all of the pages and it's a poem about trucks. (laughs) And there's this beautiful picture of a Kenworth truck in 3D and blah, blah. And it's like someone else took the book and it's someone else's book. His love for trucks influenced me so much that it actually changed poetry from being my most hated subject to my most loved subject. Why? Because now I had something to engage with. I was passionate and I had a drawing and I had colour and it was, it, was, it was wonderful. So if one kid can change black and white to colour, if one kid can change hatred for poetry to a, a love of poetry. If one kid can do that, imagine, imagine the potential and influence you have in a life group to change someone. Your passion for the gospel, your knowledge of the scriptures, your experiences, your gifts of the spirit, to actually change and influence those in your circle. We can influence others for good and we can be influenced by others. Got time for another story, yeah. Um, I used to play golf a bit and I was a bit of a hacker and the in my band the second guitarist's name was Sean and he was a bit of a professional golfer. And so when I used to play with my other friends, I used to score a certain score in golf. But the interesting thing that happened was when I started playing golf with my professional friend, one-on-one, I noticed my score getting better. Now, nothing had changed in my swing or my game or anything. It was just simply being around someone who was good at the game changed my game and same in life if you can surround yourselves with people who are good at life who are good at following Jesus who are good at living out their faith then it can change your game it can change your life Hebrews I mentioned this last week but I just want to talk about the outside verses. Let us consider how we might spur one another on. How might we influence one another? How might we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let's not give up on life groups, but encourage one another more and more until the day approaches. I see... 
at Hills Christian Family Centre, vibrant, alive life groups, full of people, people with a desire to grow in knowledge and influence not only those around them, but as growing disciples influencing the world and our community. That's what I see and that's what I dream for. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have called us to this church, that you have called us to be your body, that you have called us to be in connection and fellowship with one another. And Lord, we pray that as we grow and as we as a church look outside of ourselves, that we would look also at our own health and our own growing. Lord, help our desire to learn and our desire to surround ourselves with people who do life well to so change us and so be part of a passion for us that, Lord, we just want to seek out those who we could do life with. Lord, thank you for the, the model that you've given us of getting 12 people around you. And Lord, we see the way in which they did life with you and how your influence, your life rubbed off on them. Your teaching, your ways, your method, your love, your compassion, your mercy, the way you see the world was all shaped by the way you did life with these people. And they in turn taught us what it means to live as followers of Jesus. And so Lord, as we go from here this day and as we continue to discover what it means to do life together, I pray Lord that your spirit, just like on that day of Pentecost, came and, and placed itself upon the upper room Lord, that your spirit would be at work in our lives and in our church. Lord, that your spirit would be doing new and amazing things. Lord, that your spirit would be, be binding us together in your love. That your spirit would be forming connections and friendships that are going to last the distance and are going to change not only people, but change our world. So Lord, we pray that you do what you do and empower us, Lord, to do what we can do. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to finish this morning by uh, singing together that we will boast in Christ alone. It is all because of Jesus that we have this life. So will you stand with us as we sing? <laughs>